Hello, it's so good to see you. I'm Ed Crenshaw, pastor of Victory Church. I want to welcome everybody who is here in the room with me tonight. And also want to welcome everyone who's watching online, whether you're live or whether you're watching a recording later on. We're just really excited that you're here. But we also have to acknowledge, especially this week, that this is a very tough time here in America. And I will say that our message today is one of the most difficult that I've ever prepared. And it's not because of the content of the message. It's because of the environment in which we find ourselves this week as we in America grieve, as we mourn the murder of 19 elementary school children in Texas along with two teachers. And I know that politically right now the debate's raging on gun control and all that, and I'm not here to weigh in on that at all. I'm sure we at Victory Church uh, have people on all different sides of the spectrum regarding guns and the right to keep and bear arms and what is called very often common sense gun control and we debate all those things. And I'm not weighing in on that at all tonight, today. I'm not weighing in on that because one thing that I think is very clear when we look at the tragic events of this week when we look at the murder rate in America and the spike that we've experienced in the last couple of years, when we look at such things as what I consider the murder of thousands and thousands of babies in the womb, we have to admit this, we have to recognize this. In spite of all the political answers to all those different issues, we have a heart problem. We have a problem of the heart. And maybe a lot of things do need to be fixed, and I'm sure there are political actions that ought to take place. I know there are. But we in the church especially have to deal with things of the heart. And I believe that this is one such moment. We've been studying the Beatitudes, been talking about the happiness that can be found in some pretty odd ways according to the statements of Jesus. And there really is deep happiness that can be found even in the midst of mourning, as we've seen already. And as you go through the Beatitudes in the original context, the Sermon on the Mount, just a couple of verses after the Beatitudes... You know what Jesus says? He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now, I don't propose that we have the answers to all the political questions, but I do propose and declare that you are the answer yes. to the heart problem. Yes. You are the salt that brings a preserving force to the decay that we see, the rot that we see. You are the light that shines in the darkness when you have the light of Christ in you. And since this is a heart problem that comes out of who we are on the inside, 
And because who we are on the inside as believers can make a difference in the world around us when we truly identify as the salt of the earth and the light of the world, we have to make sure that our, our hearts are in alignment with that identity, that our hearts are right with God. And it's okay right now to be grieving. It's okay to be weeping. It's okay to be angry and upset. It's okay. And I can tell you, I, I feel a real anguish in my soul. I, I feel the burden. That's what made it so difficult to work on this message. But I, I, I don't just you know, come to this and say, I have the answers to the problems in the world around me. But I, I want to make sure that as far as it depends on me, I, I'm being who God called me to be, that I'm doing what God has called me to do, that I'm right with God. And I want to make sure to the degree that I have any pastoral responsibility for anybody else's condition before God, that your heart is right as well that you really are living out what it means to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, as Jesus calls us to be. And to do that, to be right with God, we have to draw on the resources that only God can provide. And so can we do something right now in this circumstance, in this situation, can we set ourselves up? to do what the Bible says to do in the face of evil. And what is that? It's to overcome evil with good. To overcome evil with good. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, verse 8, the discover happy principle, the beatitude that we're looking at in this message. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. We can never forget the importance, the necessity, even as believers, of being pure before the Lord. He's a holy God. He's awesome in all of his ways. And to be in his presence, we have to be pure, even as he himself is holy. Amen? Psalm 24, verses 3 through 6 say this. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? And you could just envision the hill on which the temple of the Lord stood, the holy place of God where God's presence dwelt. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god, they will receive blessing. Blessed are the pure in heart, right? They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. May we be a generation that seeks the face of the Lord. We already talked about hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And being pure in heart flows out of that seeking. Who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who can stand in God's holy place? In other words, who can come into the presence of God? 
Someone with clean hands, right? That pertains to what you do, what you do with your body, what you do with your life, the actions that you take. We have to have clean hands. We don't want to come before the Lord with dirty hands, hands that have been made filthy by what we touch in the world around us and how we touch it. But that's not all. It's not just a matter of our performance, what we do. It's a matter of who we are on the inside. We have to have clean hands and a pure heart. Sometimes it's easy just to focus on the clean hands part and ignore the pure heart aspects. The truth is, we as believers, followers of Jesus, who've been made pure by the sacrifice of Jesus, sometimes still allow impurity, not just to touch our hands, but to come into our hearts. And what's the result of that? The result is we don't see God the way that God intends for us to see him. We don't experience God the way God intends for us to experience him. We were made for the presence of God. We were made for the glory of God. We were made for personal connection with God, heart to heart, soul to soul, spirit to spirit, and with impurity that we allow not only in our behavior, but in our hearts. We don't have that experience. And the world needs a church that knows and experiences the presence of God. We should be living out of God's presence. We should just be demonstrating the presence of God. Just It should exude from our lives. Let me ask you, are you seeing God? Are you seeing God in your everyday life? And can I say this? If, you, if the only time you see and sense the presence of God is when you're listening to one of my sermons or you're in a church service, you're not experiencing the presence of God as he intends. He wants you to walk in his presence and live in his presence on a day-by-day basis. You were made for that. You were made for that. Paul tells the Roman church that people who don't see the presence of God, even in creation all around them, are then left to live in the futility of their thinking, in darkness. And that's the state of the world right now, living in futility of thinking, in darkness. But unfortunately, we in the church... We as believers in Jesus sometimes slip into phases of darkness. (laughs) We feel distant from God, distant from his presence. And sometimes that's no fault of our own, perhaps. But I would strongly encourage us at this juncture to do a heart exam. To do a heart exam, are you living right before God, not just with external behavior, but a heart that is pure and devoted to him? See, if we're not living in his glory, living in gratitude for who God is, then we're not going to see God in the world around us the way that 
God intends for us to see it. And if we don't see the world as God intends for us to see it, nobody else will. And the world is left in its futility and left in its darkness. And that's what we see right now. That's, that should upset us. That's what hurts. That's what's so painful. And here's the problem. When it comes to us as followers of Jesus, people who believe in Jesus, sometimes we just slip into that darkness and we can go days and weeks and months without really living in the presence of God, without really experiencing God. And what's bad about that, what can be devastating about that is that so often we don't even realize it. We don't even know. And we're content. I got baptized when I was 12. I walked the aisle. That's what we used to say down south. Did you walk the aisle? Walk the aisle. And even those of us who are solid in church, we can just walk in this this kind of darkness and futility of thinking and think that we're all right because the hands seem pretty clean. It's a false confidence, people. If we just have clean hands but not a pure heart, chances are you're not going to keep your hands clean very long or, you know, you dirty them up, but then you clean your hands before you come to church. Make sure that people don't see our dirty hands. But we build up a false confidence. See, when Jesus first spoke these words, happy are the pure in heart, there were a whole bunch of people standing there who thought they were pure, not because their hearts were so set on God, but because they were so religiously scrupulous. They obeyed all the law. They wanted to obey Moses, and then they had extra regulations around the laws of Moses, laws of the Old Testament, in order to make sure they didn't cross the line and do something wrong. And they obeyed all that law, so much of which were just traditions of men, people, and they thought they were pure because of it. See, they had false confidence in their own purity. See, we human beings, we tend to look at the outside, and the Pharisees were self-confident because they obeyed the rules, and part of their confidence was because they compared themselves with other people because they obeyed the rules better than most people. And we're not like that. In the modern American church, yeah, there are rules-based churches, but most of us churches that are kind of on the cool side, you know, you got a little lights and LED action going on. We're not legalistic. We're not dependent upon the externals. We're not dependent upon comparing ourselves with other people to derive our sense of being pure. 
Why are we so confident in our purity? I'll tell you why. Because we have the right opinions. We have the right beliefs. We vote the right way politically. We have the right political views. We're smart and we're smug in our self-importance. And we can just feel pure and good because we're not one of those left-wing radical nut jobs. Or, on the other hand, we're not one of those deplorable, backward, ignorant people that definitely vote the wrong way. See, we see ourselves as good in comparison. <laughs> we talked last time about mercy and having mercy on those who have the wrong opinions. See, the problem with that is we could be the ones who are wrong. And we might have the right opinion, but be wrong because our hearts are not pure. So you can have a right opinion and a wrong heart. I know you're going to send me on sabbatical again. Bring it on. <laughs> and the thing is, we don't start out down this path with bad intentions. Like, oh, I'm going to have uh, an impure heart and look down on other people and think of myself as pure and superior because my views or my perspectives and my behavior are all better. Nobody starts that way. We start with good intentions. But I believe the Pharisees started with good intentions as well. We've talked about that some in this series. I mean, a, a, lot of, a lot of people who are very rigid with external religion to help themselves feel pure are drawn toward that because they feel unclean. And they know something's wrong. Something is out of order. And if I just have somebody who can, you know, show me the exact right way to live so that God will like me, then I'll be pure. And I bet a lot of us start out with some intentions like that. I wonder how many teachers, doctors, nurses, policemen, firemen, politicians, and preachers start out on their career path because, man, I've got to make a positive difference in the world because I know I'm so messed up inside. I've read that, you know, there is very often that agenda, trying to clean myself up and, and show that I'm not dirty because I'm good and I'm doing something good. Here's the problem with trying to make up for uncleanness. Everything we do, Externally, whether it's career choice or our political opinions or anything, all, all that stuff is really external. They're not things that really touch on our hearts. And they don't really make up for the problem that exists, which is a heart problem. A heart problem. You know what Jesus said about 
people with that heart problem, the Pharisees and people who thought they were all right because of their superiority and the, because of their rigidity and they did the right thing, believed the right things. He said they were just like whitewashed tombs. He says in verse 27, this is also in the book of Matthew, verse 27 of chapter 23, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean, unclean. Outwardly, we look good, career choice, our standard of living, our educational credentials, our political opinions. She had them one more time. We look good but we can be just full of uncleanness on the inside. See, the problem with our hearts is we get pulled in another direction. We, we maybe, we love Jesus, we want to serve Jesus, but we get pulled in another direction and we let our hearts wander away from God. James says this, writing to Christians. James is writing to Christians. And in James chapter 4, verse 8, and you should read the whole context. We don't have time in this message. But he says, come near to God, and he will come near to you. Great promise. And then he says, wash your hands, you sinners. That's your actions. Wash your hands. Change what you're doing. And Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Here's what's very important to see there. James makes a connection between purifying your heart because, why? Because your heart is impure? Yes. How do you know that your heart is impure? Because you're double-minded. In other words, you're trying to serve two different masters, you're, you're trying to go two different directions. You know, you, you want to follow Jesus. You're a follower of Jesus, but yet you want to be, you know, accepted by the world. What does James say in the same chapter? Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Does that mean you're supposed to hate the world? No, it means we're supposed to be different from the world. Not hate the world, but be different from the world. A couple of weeks, we're going to look at being persecuted for righteousness' sake. So I won't talk about that right now. But we're double-minded, which means that our minds are being pulled in two different directions. And that means our heart is impure. In other words, there's something that you're being pulled to. There's something in your heart that doesn't belong there. Anybody ever find something somewhere that it didn't belong? And how did that make you feel? How did that make you feel to find that hair in that otherwise delicious meal? <laughs> oh, that happened to me just a couple of months ago, man, enjoying this wonderful meal. It was just delicious and I found a hair in the food after I was almost all complete with the meal. 
And it wasn't just a straight fine hair, it was one of those curly ones, you know? Oh, almost, yes. It's, it's repulsive, it's impure. And that's the way our hearts can be. Double-minded means you're not committed to one thing. You're not committed to the one thing. You're not committed. You know, if you cheat on your spouse, men, if you cheat on your wife, oh, but I love her, I just, no. If you cheat on your wife, it's because you're allowing yourself to be pulled away from your one and only true love. And that's impurity. It's, it's not, well, you know, you're impure because you did some kind of sin. No, you did some kind of sin because you have allowed a double-mindedness to come into your way of thinking. And the same applies toward God. See, God, we, our minds need to be focused on God. W what does it mean to be pure in heart then? Soren Kierkegaard Great philosopher, Christian, said this, purity of heart is to will one thing. Purity of heart is to will one thing. How in the world can you look at, you know, everything around us, everything going on in my life, everything going on in your life, everything going on in the world, and say, I have to narrow it down to one thing? Well, Jesus did. Jesus did. He said the first and greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind. All your heart. All your heart. David put it this way in Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. One thing I seek. One thing I desire, and that is to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. No wonder Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. Blessed are those who have a single-mindedness. They're not double-minded. They have a pure heart. They have a heart focused on loving and seeking and experiencing God, experiencing his presence, dwelling in his temple day by day, figuratively speaking. Focus on God. They'll see God. David was going to see God. And David said this in the next verse, verse 5 of Psalm 27, for in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. What's the day of trouble? See, those who think that seeing God is relegated only to eternity and that we Pentecostals are crazy talking about experiencing the presence of God here and now, seeing God with our spiritual eyes. We're just crazy. We're too experiential. No, it's not just for heaven. It's going to be better there because we'll see him as he is. And now we just see as though, you know, we're just seeing a dim reflection. But we can see the presence of God, and we will find help in our day of trouble, which will not be in heaven. It's right now. We're in a day of trouble. We're in a day of trouble, and we need to see God for ourselves and for our families and for the world around us so that we can be the salt and be the light that God has called us to be. It's not just for eternity. How can we get there? 
How, you can't get there by being good enough, choosing the right profession, believing the right things, believing the right political opinions. That's what I mean by that. But by believing in the one who can save you. It's relational. It goes back to Jesus. It goes back to God. David said in Psalm 51, verses 8 through 12, this is after he was mourning his own sin because he had committed adultery and then caused the woman's wife or the woman's husband to be killed in battle. So he was guilty of adultery and murder. And he was broken up about it. And he wrote this psalm. In verse 8, he says, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Why blessed are those who mourn for their sins. Because you can rejoice then. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. And then the verse that, you know, Keith Green made a great song out of. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Create in me a clean heart. A couple of weeks ago, I told you about an experience when I was not following Jesus and I was on a trip with illicit drugs and God spoke to me and said, son, what are you doing? And you might remember I said that my response to God was, God, don't talk to me now. And I won't do this again, which a little bit of a lie. But I didn't want to talk to God then. Why didn't I? Number one, I wasn't in the right frame of mind. But number two was, I knew that I was unclean before God. Well, how did I get from there to where I am now, speaking for God? Did I clean myself up and make myself right so that God would maybe accept me? No. I couldn't do it. And I've found out since then, I can't do it. But God can create in me a clean heart. God can create in you a clean heart. He's drawing near you right now. And if we'll draw near to him, then he'll draw even nearer to us. See, he's already taken the first step. That's why James could say, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he'll lift you up. He's basically telling us the Beatitudes there. Warm for your sins, humble yourself, be meek, hunger and thirst for righteousness, draw near to God, get, purify your heart. God's going to lift you up. God's going to lift you up. Church, I want to ask you, would you draw close to God with me right now in this time, in this season, when the church needs to be the church like never before? Would you draw near to God with me now? If you're watching this and you've never made a commitment to Christ, right now is the time to say yes to Jesus and let him come and clean your heart up, clean your life up, to lift you up. Humble yourself, just surrender yourself to him. Receive him right now. 
and you'll never be the same. And he's promised he'll give you his presence. He'll never leave you or forsake you. It's not just about heaven someday. It's about a different way of life today. Would you pray this prayer out loud with me? Just pray it out loud wherever you are, whoever's in the room with you, just pray this out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. I believe Jesus died. He was raised from the dead. And he is Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your presence. Purify my heart. And help me live for you. I'm yours, God. Thank you for receiving me as one of your very own children. In Jesus' name. Amen. Church, right now, we can find joy even in the midst of pain and grief and mourning. Blessed are those who turn to God in the way that he's calling us to turn to him. All the Beatitudes, all the Sermon on the Mount. Guess what? We're going to see God's glory come. May the world be hungry and thirsty for what we have. And I know it'll make a difference. Welcome to Revival Leadership Insights with Ed Crenshaw, a podcast for empowering and equipping leaders for revival in the greater Philadelphia region and throughout our nation. Thanks for tuning in today. If you are enjoying these podcasts, we invite you to subscribe, follow us on Facebook, and to check out edcrenshaw.com for free resources to train church leaders today for revival tomorrow. Thanks for joining us today for Revival Leadership Insights with Ed Crenshaw. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and invite you to subscribe to our podcast and check us out at edcrenshaw.com for free resources.